right. Welcome back to a, another episode of Thinking Critically. I am your host, as always, Jonathan Maloney. And today we have Steve. Hello. How's everyone doing today? <laughs> Welcome. Thank you so much for uh, agreeing to do this. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you a little nervous? I know this is your first podcast you've ever done. You know, um, the little bit of acting that I've done has kind of helped me to be a little more calm. Yeah. But... Just trying to say everything appropriately today, <laughs> Just everything as much as I can. Try to All give right. people some good ideas and things like that. Yeah, so. no, no, absolutely. Again, thank you so much for doing this. And uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit to the audience, you know, tell them about, you know, how it is that, uh, you know, came to be here and, you know, talk a little bit about, um, like, I'm interested in particular about how you, um, like, we met at the barbershop. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you're you're my barber for gosh, how long now? Four or five years, right? Yeah. It's been yeah. it's been it's been a while. So how did you like come to find yourself? So uh, it was actually the second like a backup plan almost, right? Because from nine years old until twenty seven years old, I was fighting. Ended up turning professional. Um, went through probably a million concussions between nine years old until 27. And it finally came to a stop when I got severe head trauma. I was taken to Stroger Hospital. No insurance. That was the sight to see. Oh, you know, man. that hospital, you get all the um, the guys from Cook County, all the guys that have been in fights, all the guys that swallow screws. So they have to go to the hospital instead of staying at the cell. So you see all those guys all going through that hospital. So um, that was kind of where that stopped. All the while, I had a barbershop, one barbershop, still have it, the same location. And um, I didn't take it too seriously, honestly, when I was fighting. It was more of just to have some money on the side, a place to go make some money. Uh, I was I was bouncing at the time at nightclubs, and I made most of my money there. So it was just a backup plan. wasn't taken too seriously. But when I was hit with those injury, with that injury, uh, I had to stop. It was uh, it was time to quit. I had vertigo for about a year, I'd say, and I couldn't walk straight for about mm, two or three weeks. Oh my I felt God. off, you know, off. My whole balance was off, and everything like and that. That was because of the severe head trauma. Yeah, severe head trauma. I took a hit to the back of the head. It was probably coupled with like you know bad dieting and just you know a lot of a lot of things kind of came down on me, and I realized that I had to kind of chill out and just you know take what I had and just move forward with it instead of, you know, try to keep chasing that dream. Because once you feel like one day you feel like you're superhuman, you know, you could fight anybody. You could beat this guy up. Guys on TV, you don't care. You're like, oh, I'm going to beat him up. Because if you don't have that mentality, you're in the wrong sport, right? Mm -hmm. But when you feel like you're vulnerable, finally, it's time to just say, I'm out. You know what I mean? Time to give it up. No, yeah, for sure. So you started pretty young in fighting. Nine years you old. You said nine. Yeah. Okay, did you go into like a martial arts at first or was no, it straight it was into boxing or kickboxing or what was it? So actually I got kicked out of baseball. I loved baseball. <laughs> Why I got kicked out of baseball? Fighting. Okay. I remember this this kid, Matt, his name was Matt Carpenter. I remember this. And we must have fought two or three times. The only problem was that kid was friends with uh, one of the counselors or one of the, um, what are they, like the chaperones? Okay. At the at the camps, what are they called? The camp counselors. The, yeah, the camp yeah, yeah. the camp yeah, counselors. The counselors I yeah. think. So, I get in trouble. There's a little favoritism there, and you know, as a young kid, you know, I I said, you know, I swore at him, and he wanted me to call my mom and say, hey, you know, what are you uh, like? What are you, what did you say? And I told him because he's a dude, and I'm like, oh, no big deal. I have older brothers too. He goes, I want you to call your mom and and tell you know tell her what you said. I'm like, no. Right. So I, I just left the place and it was, I, I think, I, yeah, I must've been eight or nine years old. And I crossed Western, which is a super busy street and, and ended up going like a mile walking home. My mom was more worried that I walked home by myself than, you know, than what transpired, but she, she eventually, she found out what I said. So so this, the, you were young then. You you just yeah. sort of left summer camp yeah. at what, like eight years old? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm home. surprised I knew how to get home, actually, honestly. Yeah. Like now that I think back, but I knew my brother would, you know, drop me off in the morning. So I just followed the same streets that he took and remembered, and that was it. Probably used like, you know, different houses as like landmarks and turn right here or whatever. But that was uh, that was it, man. I just had too much anger and too much energy as a, as a kid. So 
channeled into that, and it was uh, it was good, man. It kept me straight, kept me from doing anything. So, uh, what type of um, what type of uh, fighting did you go into? Boxing, boxing, boxing was first. Boxing was it first. It was first, okay. yeah. And then you know, kind of went into kickboxing. Then went into Muay Thai, kickboxing with elbows and knees. And after that, it went to MMA. I was always like kind of seeking more. My adrenal, you know, adrenaline threshold was getting fulfilled, and then it wasn't enough. And then do it again, and do it again, and again, and yeah, you escalate. Yeah. You know what I mean? You end up wanting more and more. So it's spilled over definitely in business, though, because if you don't feel challenged, if I don't feel challenged in my in my business, like I can't be complacent. I get bored, extremely bored, and feel like I'm not doing enough. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, I think that. A lot of entrepreneurs are kind of wired that way where they're always on the move. Yeah. And I also have noticed, and it's funny, the last podcast episode I did, I was uh, talking about how, uh, for me in particular, I kind of move through these different groups in society. Like I have the academic group because I'm getting my PhD. Then uh, I'm involved with a server group because one of the things I do, as you know, is I serve part-time to make yeah, some extra cash. Right. Uh, and then I'm also working on intelligent speculation. So I'm involved with a lot of entrepreneurs. And the just observing the different way that these people are wired is very interesting. And I've noticed with entrepreneurs, um, they are very competitive. Yeah. Yeah. And you and you have to because the environment. I mean, you're trying to make a living, and you have to go out there and you have to offer offer a product. And you have to convince other people uh, to want your product and things of that nature. Yeah. But uh, yeah, they're usually very high energy and uh, very competitive. I'm calming down a little bit now, though. Yeah, yeah I am. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I think it's, you know, part of it is getting older, but yeah, you're 100% correct. Now, you you know, in that being said, you know, people are often like kind of, they're short-fueled. Like they, their fuel, they think that they want to, you know, do it like long-term or whatever, but they really don't. And a lot of, and the, and the key indicator on that, I would say, is if people are emotionally driven, uh, it's good, right? But you cannot be just one of those guys that like, oh, like you see these guys like, oh, hashtag self-made, hashtag I'm the best, hashtag, like you can't be like narcissistic. I don't know that you need to draw that line to where, okay, you can be competitive, but you can't be disrespectful because as soon as like, for example, like I'll give you an example of an, an interview. When someone comes in and gives me an interview and, and you know, and they're, they're, they're sounding okay, and when they go back and they bash the previous place and they keep going, keep going, I'm not hiring them yeah. because that's just someone with a chip on their shoulder. So like kind of have to, you know, if you want to make the best barbershop or, or, you know, whatever business it may be, you need to really look at, take all the advantages of the other places, all the, all the nice, you know, amenities that the other places offer and and build them. Don't don't try to knock some someone else's stuff, right? You have to make sure that you take everything that's good about them, duplicate it. That's what I that's what I try to do. You know what I mean? No, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So uh yeah, look out to the the marketplace and see what everyone else is doing and yeah. say, hey, I really like this and maybe assimilate it. And what you don't like, obviously you don't need to. And uh at the end of the day. And everyone's just trying to make a living, right? Yeah, so, that's what we're all trying yeah, to do. Everyone's yeah. just trying to make a living and having some degree of integrity. I think that's what I think that's a, a good word yeah. we're trying to talk about yeah. right now. Uh, having some degree of integrity uh, in the process is really, really important. Yeah, so. exactly, exactly. But but don't. I mean, I'm saying don't start a business for people if you're just bitter and you want to prove people wrong because your business won't last. You know what I mean? I want to I want to say that you know you have to go into it for the right reasons. You know what I mean? Because your reasons will keep you there. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, in your opinion, what do you think those? What are your reasons? I have so many reasons. Yeah, um, let's hear them. I'm interested. Uh, so the beginning is so the beginning would be my dad getting fired. My dad, you know, he does, you know, everything from he can go overhaul a diesel engine and he can also go reprogram a computer. I mean, all I mean, just just imagine. I mean, he get full spectrum. I thought he knew everything in the world. He ended up getting fired uh, from one of his jobs, and I was like, oh, my God. You know, I was shook up. I was like maybe maybe 15, 16 years old. No, 14. Let's see. At 14 years old, I was. And I was like, how could this be? This guy knows everything about, you know, everything. Why did he get fired? It wasn't until later you find out about the politics, you know, the massaging that goes into corporate, in the corporate world. 
You know what I mean? Just pushing stuff and smiling in someone's face. And then like, kind of like we talked about, or we just talked about this before the podcast. Like you want real people. You don't want fluff. And there's, I think there's a lot of that in the corporate world. I would think it was demonstrated to me when my dad had got fired. Yeah. So what I said is, I'm going to go work for some for someone. I tried that out for a little bit, worked for a, co- a company, a bigger company, and it just wasn't for me. My income was capped. I felt like I had more energy to do more, and I felt like at any time, if they wanted to fire me, I'd be gone. So no one's going to have me by the balls. You know what? That's, that's sorry, but that's <laughs> no, what I'm no, saying. Fine. Like, I want to feel like I'm in control of, you know, everything that, that I'm putting out there. And if I'm not, if, if it's not performing, there's something I'm doing wrong, you know? So it's extreme accountability. You know what I mean? You have got to be able to be entirely exposed because you will be exposed, whether it be by your team or by, you know, someone that knows you or whatever, you just have to, you know, stay honest and, you know, um, times will be tough. That's, that's for sure. hundred percent in the entrepreneurial world. They are going to be extremely hard. I think life in general can be like that. Yeah. Life I mean, in general uh, like that. yeah, life definitely has its ups and downs, but with, uh, entrepreneurialism, uh, they call it a roller coaster ride. It's a roller coaster. <laughs> yeah, Extremely, I've, yeah. I've heard that analogy before and I think it definitely fits because yeah, you definitely, you know, you have your highs and you have your lows, but, uh, I think life in general is kind of like that. But, uh, yeah, with entrepreneurialism, you, you run a team, so you're a leader. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm just curious as to, have you always felt like, have you gravitated always towards a leadership role or, uh, we you can, know, can you, can you do both? Like, do you feel comfortable being a follower as well? And exactly, uh, how do you go about leading your team and making sure that, you know, they're, they're reaching their maximum potential? Uh, I think we're all, we're all striving to be, you know, to be better. I think we all have followers. You know, I think we all have some people that look up to us and I think we all have people that we follow. It's like, again, you know, this is the same, same analogy. We're taking some, taking the good, you know, you know, we're taking the good from the things we see, the things we observe and we're utilizing it. So what step is that in the, what is it? The, um, scientific theory. What is, what step is that? The observation. Uh, that's the second step, right? Or is it the are you, third? Are you talking about the scientific method? Scientific method, yep. yeah. Yeah, oh, that's exactly. Okay. See, <laughs> I didn't want to rehearse this. I could have looked it up, but I was like, no, I'm going to give you the real, you know, I said theory, right? Scientific theory? Yeah. Yeah, no. Uh, scientific method, dude, it's so, dude, that's so, that's it. Exactly. Yeah, no, the scientific method, the uh, the first step is the observation. Yeah, observation. Well, yeah. so I'm cutting right to that step all day long, and I'm seeing what can I take. I'm going to take that because it works. I liked how it was when I was treated that way, and then- do it, you know, do it to other people because they're going to like it too. Take your time with them. You know what I mean? Conversate. You have to put yourself in that customer's shoes. Okay. You know what I mean? I wanted to touch on this real quick too. I'm not going to give a name out, but there was somebody that was going at one of my shops. Um, this is another reason that I'm, you know, kind of happy that I'm an entrepreneur and I have, you know, control to put people in the position to win. Um, someone that that works for me was able to earn a lot more money with me than I think she would have in the same industry. Okay. Um, she kind of had some bad luck. Had And you might know who this is, but I'm not going to say her name just in yeah. case. We um, won't name drop. Yeah, we, we won't name drop. Yeah. <laughs> she actually had um, was diagnosed with breast cancer, and um, she had to take care of three girls all by herself. Her husband was not around for some time. And she was able to do it because of something that I made. So that is a huge thing that I always look look back on. And, you know, anyone that knows me and has been cutting to cutting, you know, coming to me for haircuts or coming to the shop, you know, because we're part of the community. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I, I yeah. feel like I feel like people know us. They actually care, you know, like what's going on with us. And it's the same way, you know, we reverse it, you know, we it's reciprocated. We really care like about the customers. There's there's uh Another element is kids growing up, right? So I got eighth grade kid and all of a sudden now he's going into college. It's freaking awesome to see. And it's just, uh, you see people grow up and then you also have, you also have some bad things too. So like you have, like, hey, remember that old guy that used to tell those corny jokes? Where is he? Like, where's he been? And 
chances are he's probably, you know, in heaven or he's, you know, he's, he's not around anymore for whatever reason. You know what I mean? Um, maybe he's in a home somewhere, whatever. So you, so it's good with the bad. You, you see a lot of, there's a lot of uplifting stuff and then you see a lot of, you know, stuff that you kind of just have to accept like death and things like that, that, that happen at our part of life. It's pretty, it's a lot, yeah. right? You don't no, think about that, yeah, but yeah, like, but, I mean, yeah. you are, uh, you are more involved, I think, with the community yeah. as an entrepreneur, depending on the business that you're running, but yes. you're more involved with the community than I would say uh, the average corporate person is. Absolutely. 100%. Uh, because you're out there and people are telling, particularly in a barbershop too, because of the yeah. conversations, right? Yeah. You got a pretty, you, you have some intense conversations, I'm assuming. Yeah. Sometimes. sometimes it gets a little too, you know what I mean? <laughs> it gets a little, it's a, it's a little uncomfortable sometimes, but you yeah. learn, you learn what to do with it. Yeah. But you have people coming in there, regulars, and they're telling you mm -hmm. about their lives. You get to know their families, Yep. Um, you know, how their kids are doing, what colleges they're going to. Yeah. And you're kind of, uh, this is great what you do, right? Because you're a huge microscope and you're able to just drop in on all these different people and people are observing this and they're seeing like, oh, I relate to that guy. I like that guy. Or, you know, we're, we're actually, you know, you're doing a business. I'm doing a business. We are, we are the American dream. We're creating, you know, we're creating opportunity. You know, they're going to learn something from you. You know what I mean? We're creating and they're going to come, you know, work for me behind the chair, whatever, whatever it may be. We're creating something from nothing. Like there's no... There's no smoke and lights, you know what I mean? This is this is it, and it's from from the ground up, you know what I mean? Yeah, this is, uh, so small business is the nucleation point or the starting point for capitalism. Um, this is kind of, yeah. this is all where uh, where uh, builds from there. You know, the essence of capitalism originally coming from like barter, just trading goods, and then obviously money was developed, but going out and offering a uh, good or goods or services in the marketplace and then having people uh, trade uh, resources for whatever it is that you have to offer. Yep. And then there's a whole thing that you have, there's this whole process that needs to be done, which is, I mean, as you know, it takes a lot of work. I mean, yeah. you have to, you, first of all, you have to figure out what your product is going to be. Yep. Uh, generally, it's done that way. And yep. then you have to come up with a name. You have to brand yourself. Yep. You have to develop a logo. Then if you're a brick and mortar, am I going to be a brick and mortar? Am I going to operate remotely? Or what exactly, uh, what type of business model fits the product? Right. And then you have to go from there. So it's this, it's hard. I mean, which is why it's not for everybody. Uh, but it's definitely, as you said, the American dream is kind of owning your own business and going from there. But yeah, it's uh, it's definitely, I think it's a lot of fun. I don't know about yeah. you. I I. It's fun. It's tiring sometimes, but it's it's taxing for sure. You know, but it's it's fun. I wouldn't do anything else at this point. I don't think you know. I don't have no interest in in taking on any other career. I mean, there's little hobbies and things like I that I have, but nothing I would want to actually make a career or business out of besides what I'm doing. Yeah. So uh, fighting, fighting didn't work out. You got injured. Mm -hmm. um, so that's how you kind of ended up doing the whole barbershop thing. But how did you initially, I don't know if we covered it. How did you get into barbering? So I always liked, I always liked barbershops. I'll go back to, you know, you know, going as a kid and like, you know, the powder, the talcum powder, the powder they spray on you with the brush, you know, I think like that scent, you know, just, it's a lax environment where you can, again, be real. You can meet a lot of people and like, it's just, it's just unfiltered for the most part, unless you have to kind of hold your tongue because certain people are in you know the shop like mom you don't want you don't want to say like anything vulgar in front of the mom but I mean it's it's basically unfiltered and people are are going there you know more for more than a haircut they're going there to kind of vent relax hang out you know what I mean it's therapeutic I think for a lot of people um I I didn't see all this though I mean literally I was attracted to I was like oh cool you know these this guy's using these clippers and he's making this haircut and I liked the way it made me feel. So let me see if I can do that to someone else and make them feel like a million bucks. You know, when you get your haircut, you're just like, and you could tell you got some of the hard ass guys out there. I know you guys are watching when you guys act all tough. And, and then when you get, you turn around and you got the sideways smile coming out because you're freaking, cause you know, it looks good. We know about you guys too. <laughs> we know about you guys too. Uh, I feel like that when I leave your place. 
Yeah, I feel good about my cut. Yeah, but you're not one of those hard ass tough guys. <laughs> but they're those hard ass tough guys are out there. They act yeah. like that, and then they they cannot help they cannot help but smile. And I'm like, yeah, I know, you know. <laughs> but um, but yeah. So I mean, that's what it was. And then uh, when it, when I was like, all right, let me make a business out of this because it's a low overhead business. Initially, is a low overhead business, especially if you're going to cut hair. If you're going to buy a gray clips, you need about four hundred grand in the bank. So. That wasn't that wasn't really like in my, you know, I didn't have that in my budget, but I started out small and I started my own my own business and just uh, kind of grew it grew it from there. But I did start behind the chair, so it's hard to wear both hats sometimes. But I still do it. I still cut hair, and that was like the way to not back yourself in a corner full of bills because you were staffing your entire place. You were, you know, you were able to make the money yourself. Interesting. Uh, so how did you choose your style though? I mean, because before I started going to your shop, I yep. had never seen a, like what looked like an actual barbershop, but it felt, it didn't feel like I was walking into something that was only for uh, men 60 years and older, but it was just something that appealed to the younger, uh, the younger generation, like the millennials, um, and even older individuals as well. I mean, cause you've got the full gamut in there. I yeah. mean, you've got, you've got, you got older gentlemen coming in and then Thank you've got, you, you've got young kids way. coming in. Uh, and it really appeals to everyone. It feels very warm when you walk in. It has a great atmosphere to it. Uh, I think the branding is great and everything, but how did you pick your style? Like that this was the type of, uh, bar barbering. Is that the correct, uh, is that the correct term or barbary? I'm not, I'm not yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. You know, man, yeah, how did you choose that? Uh, so, so where I grew up was, um, the South side of Chicago, right? So, um, you know, when I, when I was growing up there, there was not too many barbershops there that weren't kind of hood barbershops, if you will. I didn't want to duplicate that. I don't want that nonsense. I was around that behavior a lot, you know, in, um, in boxing gyms and stuff like that. And I wanted to go somewhere where a professional would feel comfortable or even a regular person, they would feel comfortable. I don't want people to feel like they're walking, you know, walking into the flea market or they're walking. I don't want them to feel like they're on edge. I want them to feel able to relax, but in they're in a place that they need to have, you know, respect for. This is not, it's not a lunchroom. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't yeah. want it to be wild in there. So, I mean, if you want to, oops, if you want to go and talk about the, um, like the the building and like how it is, like how it looks. Is that what you're referring to? Like, are you referring to like the style of it? Are you talking about? Yeah, like the, the um, well, obviously the decor is cool and that's part of the style. Yeah. I mean, it has this Frank Sinatra, yep. uh, like Ocean's Eleven, uh, like, well, like that, that era type of feel to it. Um, but not stale. No, no. Right. Def yes. Yeah, definitely not yeah. stale. I mean, it's, it's lively when you walk in. And yeah, the decor is great, but it's a very particular, I would say it's particular. Obviously you'll cut any type of hair that people want, right? Right. but it's, you know, the straight razor, like people, like guys that have beards, obviously beards are in right now. And then you have all of the, you offer the, the, the hot shaves and things like that. But it makes me think of, I don't know, I think of like 1920s era or something like that. Yeah. Well, you know what? You're exactly right because the building was built in 1926. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's right. Because so, it is, it's the Tivoli building. Yeah. And so you said it was, you know, you said it was inviting, right? So there's a, I smirked a little bit when you said that because the actual paint color in there is called inviting ivory by Sherman Williams. Oh, that's funny. So I was <laughs> like, so this is like me working at the restaurants and things like that. Like I used to work, I used to do security at Sienna Tavern and the weirdest thing, like there's, this is science right now and I'm going to kind of jump around, but, but this is the science of this is when you have a restaurant like that, you have an area facing the glass off of Kinsey, I believe it is. And uh, what is it, Kinsey? Maybe Kinsey and Dearborn? I'm not sure the exact intersection, but you have all this traffic, and guess where you fill the seats first when you have a place like that? Outside. So you okay. make people look like people are in there, right? Yeah. Another thing, science. It's, psycholo it's psychology and Psychology, action. science, philosophy. I mean, what is it all together, really? Does it all work together? Well, I mean, they would have uh, – I mean, there's there's certain concepts that uh, relate to one another for sure. Yeah. But, uh, so I was thinking they, about they that have, too. They have different was... names for a reason. There, there are important distinctions between them. Yeah. 
So what do you put on the, if you, if I swear this is a real thing because I've, I've looked this up because I got a problem with buying cars too. So I'm going to tell you about that in a second. Okay. <laughs> but what I was saying on the outside of Sienna Tavern, like the outer part of it, they have warm lights. Okay. So when you're outside, you see the warm lights, you want to go in there. Yeah, absolutely. Warm lighting. Now check it out. When you go buy a car, guess what they do? They're shutting the blinds. They got the cool lights going. Because they want you to be relaxed so you could sign all the paperwork and leave. So that's a, that's a little tip right there because I've actually looked that up. You want cool lighting by merchandise. No, that um, that is definitely science in action. A lot of that yeah. is like applied psychology is that you have actual people uh, who conduct research yeah. in order to figure out what is the optimal scenario for basically getting you to do something because mm-hmm. they want to, uh, I hate to say it, but they, they, they want to manipulate, manipulate your behavior. They yeah. want you to buy that car. They want you to think that the, uh, the store is inviting. It feels inviting when you look at it or that it's crowded, that other people are there. So we're naturally social animals. Yeah. And when you see a gathering of individuals, you are naturally drawn to that. Yep. So that's the reason why they fill the seating outside first. Yeah. Yep. So that, yeah, that's all sci- applied science uh, or applied psychology in this case is figuring out or even uh, sociology, figuring out how to get the individual or even large groups or larger groups of individuals uh, in order to do something. Yeah. That's really interesting though. Yep. And, um, like you talked about, you know, information from, you know, deducing information from like, say like, you know, you go to Jewel, you go to Jewel and you buy, you're this age because they take your license and you're buying this alcohol. That data is going somewhere. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Right. They're giving you so a, there's data. Boom. Yeah, That's what gi- step is that? They're giving, um, well, they're gathering information. My scientific, so, what is that though? The scientific method? Yeah, exactly. Well, See they're, you guys? They're going, out, <laughs> they're going out and getting information about you. Yeah, so every time yeah. like you go to Walgreens or Jewel, let's say, for example, or anywhere else where there's some sort of rewards program, they are tracking your buying habits. And they're tracking your buying habits in order to uh, better sell to you. In return, you get a discount, right? Yep. Uh, which is nice, but they're not doing that. Uh, for free nope. because they feel generous. They're doing it for data. Yes. And uh, there's an entire field known as data science where essentially you have PhDs and statistics, mathematics, other, um, uh, let's say, computer science or physics even. And what they do is they go in and they figure out how to extract as much information as possible from the data that they gather. Right. So there's an entire uh, entire field. And I have a number of PhDs that I uh, went to school with who actually ended up in the field because uh, it's fairly lucrative and there's a high demand for it. But yeah, all that data goes somewhere. Yes. So that's pretty crazy though. So what is that? That would be like behavioral science then, right? How people are buying? Would that be behavioral Uh, science? Yeah, that would probably fall under uh, behavioral economics or Mm -hmm. uh, consumer psychology, something of that nature. Yeah, that's definitely a science as well. they, They even hire... So you have corporations even hiring PhDs in anthropology who focus on basically watching. What they do is they watch human behavior when they walk into a store mm-hmm. or, um, or some sort of other scenario in order to try to figure out what exactly is, uh, wh- what exactly is going through your mind and to like how, how, should, how do you optimize a store layout and things like, like mm-hmm. that. Like, for example, the, um, the first... As soon as you walk into a store, they, the store won't put anything that they really want to move. Like nothing valuable is there, like in the first like 10 feet or something like mm-hmm. that. Because what they have found out, and this comes from uh, anthropologists studying this, is that people need a landing strip. So when they get out of the store, they're usually getting out of the environment. They have to compose themselves and they have to switch from like... Whatever wow. mode, whatever mode that they were in previously, like to get to the store to shopping mode or to buying mode, mm-hmm. and that there's a certain amount of time from a time span along with a distance too in the store uh, for them to do this. So that's why if you walk into a store, you won't see anything super valuable as soon as you walk wow. in. But like after the first ten feet, that's when the store starts putting things that they want to sell to you because they know that you're now you've now entered into buying mode or shopping mode. Right. 
That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah, but that's that's science again in action. So anyway, it, yeah, it, it's just it's really interesting. Yeah, science is science is everywhere, and people don't. Uh, you know, it's funny. We were just talking about. I did a post about this actually yesterday on uh, on my Facebook page, and like people don't really have a good understanding, in my opinion, of how much science impacts their lives. Uh, they kind of take it for granted. Like for example, science. The post was about somebody on Twitter uh, posting that. You know, science wants you dead by the age of uh, 30 or 50 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And they want like five of your seven children also dead. Anything beyond that, you can think because of science. Mm -hmm. So somebody put in the hard effort to figure out how to extend the human lifespan, how to create vaccines so that way we don't, you know, you, you are not losing uh, children early on, or, you know, all of the different types of medical and health advances that we've had over the past century or so is thanks to the scientific method. And the, you know, we live, we take everything, I don't say we take everything, but, you know, being in a first world country, we have it so good. And yeah. have you ever, have you ever been to a third world country uh, outside of the States? I mean, I can imagine I have I've been to like Tijuana, right? So I okay. know what poor of poor lives yeah, like. Yeah, you know, uh, been around some people that didn't have a lot, you know, here, and it was pretty bad. But yeah, third world is is uh, is not not somewhere I want to be. Yeah, no, I. Uh, the first time that I actually, so I, I had the um, I had the opportunity to go to the Philippines about was this 2007, so 13 years ago, because I have one of my best friends from high school. His family is from the Philippines, and they're all they're all uh, doctors, and mm -hmm. they own hospitals along with universities. They're medical universities in Manila, Philippines, and he actually went to medical school there. And I had the opportunity to go hang out with him for three weeks cool. and check out the Philippines, and it was incredible. But I, the level of poverty and filth, I had never seen anything yeah. like that in my entire life. And the whole point I'm trying to make is that. You know, people in those types of situations, I think oftentimes, particularly when it comes to like the benefits of vaccines and other types of uh, medical technologies, they fully appreciate it. Where here in a first world nation, sometimes we lose grips with reality a little bit yeah. and we take things too much for granted. So, you know, for example, we have rising cases of measles in first world nations because you have people who are vaccine hesitant or they, uh, you know, are straight up vaccine conspiracy theorists. And it's like, do you not understand how important this is? I right. mean, to having a healthy functioning society. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, I mean, it's, it's all very interesting. And definitely when it comes to the marketplace, science has a heavy hand and it's not, uh, and it's not just going to manifest itself uh, superficially. I mean, like very, like on very basic fundamental levels, you have science creeping in, like what we were just talking about with the lighting or um, with the, the atmosphere that you generate for your customers. I mean, that is based off of research done yeah. by a scientist. So anyway, yeah, it's just uh, super interesting. Uh, anyway, going, going back to you, though, with, uh, with Mac Hart and the barbershop and everything like that, do you, uh, where do you, so you have a few locations right now, right? Two so, and a half. Two and a half. Okay. So <laughs> you have one in, so I go to the one in Downers. Downers Grove. Downers Grove. And then the other one, one is. One in downtown Naperville. And then one going to be, it's, one's going to be up in Elmhurst, downtown Elmhurst, 102 West 2nd Street. So it's right by the Starbucks in downtown. When can we uh, expect that? Uh, it's looking like a couple weeks at this point. I have to interview and however long that takes to get it properly staffed. I do have one person I know that I'm promoting to go over there. And um, as, as far as after that, I kind of have to see how it plays out. I have to, it's not up to me. So again, guys, the self-made thing is not real. It's not up to <laughs> me. This is my... I have got to make sure that I get good employees in there, especially if I'm not there. Um, I have a great manager that's going over there, but I need to make sure that I have a solid foundation in order to build a business. So again, not self-made. My team is the reason that I'm where I am right now. No, yeah, absolutely. People don't credit their team, dude. They take it all. Don't take it all. It's not, not for you. Your team, your managers... They allow you to do it all, and I'm 100% grateful for it. No, I, I categorically 100% uh, agree with that sentiment. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, as a, as a leader who builds a team, it's really, really important to understand that the team kind of makes everything, right? I mean, you're there, you were the founder, uh, you built it, but you can't grow a business without a team. Right. Uh, It's very, very difficult to do that. And or almost impossible. I suppose it depends on the business model. But for example, I mean, obviously, if you want to have barber shops and it's brick and mortar and you need obviously barbers to do it. So yeah. uh, in this in this case, and I always kind of have, have embraced the philosophy when it comes to to managing teams that it's give and take, right? Of course. That you can't be this overarching tyrant. I mean, you should, obviously you should have standards and you should expect something out of your employees or your team members. Um, But there's this whole uh, give and take, the mutual respect thing going on. The employees shouldn't take advantage of you, but you also shouldn't be taking advantage of your employees. And this this was a huge learning curve for me, you know, because coming from, you know, a fighting background, you... I mean, seriously, could you have any more opposite worlds? I'm, I'm, I'm pounding this guy in the head right now, you know, as a career, as a professional MMA guy, right? I'm, I'm punching this guy in the head. And then fast forward seven years later, I'm shaving someone's face and I'm styling their hair. I mean, you can't have, and it was quite a transition. What I wanted to say is like, yeah, you cannot be tyrant. You cannot be, when you're commuting communicating to people, especially, you know, newer staff, younger staff, you have got to treat them with respect the same way, give and take, just like you said. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Science communicator. (laughs) Okay. So my favorite science communicator, I mean, I don't know if I have a favorite one, but one of the guys that physics, he's a, he's my physics teacher from high school. Okay. Some cool stuff. There's two cool things that I remember. He had a dude lay on a bed of nails to demonstrate, you know, the pressure and how in class. Yes. No way. Yes. Did he pick somebody out of class? Pick somebody out of class. Okay. Yeah. All dude school didn't really care. Like he he took his shirt off and everything. Like he was laying on the bed of nails just so he would show that you could evenly, you know, what is what does what just um all the pressure would be just distributed evenly and not cause him to puncture his skin. Yeah, exactly. So Mm -hmm. that was one thing we did. Um, Another thing we did was. if an object is moving, it will stay moving unless acted by another force, right? Yeah, Something that's right. Okay. That's one of Newton's laws, yeah. Newton, yeah. Yeah, that was one um, of Newton's uh, laws. An object in motion will stay in motion. Okay. stay in motion, yeah. So, I didn't know this, but he gave the example, if a truck is driving, something shoots up from out, say you're laying, laying in a truck, okay, you shoot a gun up in the air, the bullet is supposed to land back if there is no wind. Correct. Okay, so I guess, I don't know if you guys got all that, but it's pretty amazing <laughs> if you think about it, because everyone says, oh, no, it's going to end up behind the truck. No, it won't. If it's moving, it'll stay moving. Okay, so I thought that was a really cool thing. Then, of course, I remember, like, Bill Nye growing up, right? Oh, because man, Bill he's, Nye. You know, right? I, this guy's not, you know, Matt knows. He's not in his head. So, so yeah, it's like he just had, he was so gimmicky. It was kind of cool. But I got to say right now, currently, I think it's really cool what you're doing because you're making it, you're making it cool. You're delivering it like so people can hear it, like the science applied in everyday life. So that's, that's, I think it's pretty awesome what you're doing. So you're at the top. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's communicating science. You're you're too generous. He's communicating (laughs) science to all you guys. Like it's, 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 yeah, it's about entrepreneur. It's about me, barbershops, this, whatever. In the end, Science made this possible so that you guys could hear about every every way I use science, and now he's delivering his you know his method to you and the, well the scientific method how I use it all the time and I mean every day every day. Yeah, I think that uh, people go through something uh, a crude model of what would be considered the scientific method, but yeah, um, yeah you just. You make an observation, then you go out and you attempt to gather information about it, um, and then you test it and see what the end result is. I mean, entrepreneurs experiment all the time with business models, yeah. right? That is, experimenting with business models is uh, is a form of like the scientific method, in my opinion, yeah. where you're making an observation, okay, I'm either not doing, I'm not making enough money, or I'm making 
I don't know if any entrepreneur would ever say I'm making too much money. Let's just say I, I, I have a problem, right? Okay, let's yeah. just boil it down to I have a problem and I need, I need to figure out a solution. Mm-hmm. So then you identify that there's a problem, so you make your observation. Then you go out and you gather information on how to solve that problem. And then you implement the solution process and you see what comes out the back end. If you get the results that you want, cool. It looks like you're, you're heading in the right step. If you don't, then you have to go back to the drawing board and reformulate your hypothesis or basically your assumptions on how to solve this problem right. and you go and do it again. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's very, it's very interesting. Uh, once you kind of look deeper into business and you see these parallels between, uh, what happens in science and then kind of what happens in business. But I was just, uh, I'm just curious about, I mean, is that, is that, is that how you go about when you, when you, when you notice a problem? It is. Sometimes, sometimes. What's the thought process? Uh, What type of thinking do you engage in when you notice a problem in your business or you have an idea? Like kind of, kind of walk me through what you do in your own words. So the first thing is find out what actually happened because there are three sides of every story, right? So I, I mean, give me a, give me a specific example of a problem, and then I can I can tell you you know more of a okay. direct answer. Uh, expansion, right? Okay. Because you're you're ambitious. You want to. Oh, this is perfect because I want... wanted to tell you how broke I was like two weeks ago. Okay, it was Let's awesome. Let's go through it because this is what story. you guys don't know. <laughs> Here, I'm going to reference uh, Goggins. Okay. Glossy services reflect much more than they reveal. So uh, for the listeners who are tuning in, who is Goggins? What's the full name? Uh, David Goggins. Yeah. Uh, he wrote the book, uh, Can't Hurt Me. Yeah. He's a ex, what was he? Uh, ex uh, Navy SEAL. Yeah. Navy SEAL, yeah. but like a, like very elite. Very elite. Yeah, and then he got into like ultra marathon running, which are like, like crazy amounts of yeah. running and he's been on all sorts of podcasts. Okay. Yeah. So that guy. So, so the glossy surfaces, right? So if this is, this is so great because like everyone, you know, if, if, if sometimes, you know, you'll see, you'll see someone in a really nice car, right? Like badass, like whatever, whatever you like, Lamborghini, Corvette, whatever you like. That's reflecting, you know, back at you. It's not telling you anything about what he's done. He could have had the shittiest, you know, upbringing. You know what I mean? He went through dirt to get where he was at. Or he could have been a rich kid. You never know. But I like to believe the underdog story. I think it's more relatable to myself. Everyone loves an underdog. Yeah. So, so I mean, you got it. You got to think. And even even guys that you know, they look like man, everything's perfect, perfect life, perfect wife, kids, whatever. It's dude. It was not easy to get there. Most of the time, it was not easy to get there. So people need to. I think people need to see that. And and this is exactly what I was going to say. You know, like. So I um. You were broke. I'm broke. I was broke. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm I'm up now, but I was it was pretty bad. You know, and I've seen that thirty four dollar charge in my account way too often from going negative. But this is my fault. You know what I mean? I should have probably budgeted a little better, but it's, you know, I smile because it's almost like, it's almost like a game, you know, because it, it will come back because the this foundation is there and it's, the momentum is going. Um, my team is, my team is doing, you know, doing well and the shops are only getting busier. So I know it's going to be replaced, but when you wake up and you're negative $2,000 in the bank, oh man, you're like, holy <laughs> shit, this is terrible. <laughs> But then when it's back, you know, 3,000, three days later, so five grand you made, it's okay. You know, it's it's not like, um, it's not like it doesn't hurt when you're that low. So, it, or you feel like stressed at all. I mean, you just have to, you have to assess the situation, see what it is, see how it's going to get better and keep doing what you're doing. Um I was cutting hair. Like when I needed money, like I'm, I'm like, all right, let me book all my appointments, get my butt in there and, you know, start cutting hair so I can make, you know, make more money, make up for it. Yeah, absolutely. Because the reason I got behind is opening a new store expansion, like you said, but I'm in there doing most of the construction. I'm tearing walls down myself. I built the stations myself, barber chairs myself. I did all that myself so I could save money on the labor costs. Would it be nice? So if I could sit at home, take a nap and have someone else do it, of course, but I just didn't have the money for it. So maybe maybe when it becomes worth it, when I can just sit back and do that and then have all my contractors line up, maybe I will. But for right now, I mean, I need to save everything that I can because I'm just, I'm literally just getting the hang of this. It's been 10 years. I'm just getting the hang of this. Don't go in there in one year or two years and think you got it. You're going to have it. You're going to nail it. Unless you invent something, you're not going to nail it. There's no way. 
one or two. Well, it's unlikely. Let's not say there's no way. <laughs> I don't want to discourage people either. But it's I will say it's a process. It's a process, yeah, dude. A, and there's a lot of learning. You need to, you need to, you're going to, you're going to, yeah, you're going to hurt. And then you need to, when you're in those tough search situations that you're hurting in, um, metaphorically speaking, of course, yeah. uh, then you need to problem solve your way out of it. You work your way. Oh, you it hurts. Your, your stomach hurts if you're hungry and you're that broken. You oh, can't buy food. So okay. that you get that little, cra- that little hurt yeah. right there, a little okay. physical hurt, <laughs> I would say. So yeah, going back to the expansion, like how did you decide though? What was the thought process of, first off, like I want to expand? Dude, I, I don't, you're just, okay, so. Oh, this is this is good too because we people don't know about this. I was going to open up another store. I lost about five grand on it. Uh, it was an issue with the zoning. Landlord said it was cool. It wasn't cool. Development director, the the development director, said that I couldn't develop my business there, Clarendon Hills. Uh, so kind of just had to let that one go. It's kind of still up in the air, but I will not go in there unless they tell me, "Hey, we want you here." Okay. I'm not going to fight for it. I'm not going to do zoning, but. There's there's a little hiccup right there. I mean, five thousand dollars out the window, just lost. So I had been itching for it. Like I said before, you know, like I need pressure. Okay, so like the pressure of opening up another store makes okay. it challenging. So it keeps me interested. Right. So you need the challenge. I need the challenge. You need the challenge. Need okay. Absolutely. So, um, so you like opening up uh, new stores in each one because I know you've done it a few times before. So you experiment, and unfortunately, you have to kind of pull the plug. Yeah. Uh, oh, guys, I closed. I closed down. Uh, sorry to interrupt. I closed down three stores. I have two open. So you know, I've closed more stores than I've opened. So yeah. you guys know that too. Yeah. So how did you? Um, so I mean. Clarendon Hills had to hurt, obviously, because yeah. you lost five grand and then yeah. you ran into all of these issues. How did you figure out, when did you make the decision that, okay, I'm just going to have to cut my losses and walk away. And then I'm going to go to the next location, which is now going to be Elmhurst. So, yeah. I mean, was there a lag time, like a, a long lag, lag time, like months in between? Or was it kind of like quick, you know, quick decision? I know this obviously isn't the first time you've had to close down the shop, but yeah, kind of what's the thought process you, you walked through? Honestly, I was like, I was like, fuck man, this sucks. Like yeah. this is, this is, this is what the hell, you know? And then I don't know, you just, you go work out and then you just kind of, uh, you know, get, you get ready to relieve some stress and Keep going because they always say like, how would you have known how far you, you, you know, you could have got if you gave up? So, I mean, there's a ton of quotes that say that, right? So they, they always resonate with me and I just think it's what I'm supposed to do. So let me, uh, let me keep going with it. Why stop? Just because you lost five grand, it's a lot of money, but it's not that much money. I mean, really, it's not that much money. You could do a lot with it, you know, if you know how to do a lot with it, but what what the store will make versus that is not so there we go i'm comparing it right okay. so i'm comparing my options i'm weighing my options out so i lost this money um i wasn't thinking about doing anything but, but then you, but you know i mean you have a backup plan so i mean which is or you have something to fall back on it's not like it's my hair cutting honestly because yeah. i know i'll always be able to make money with my hands like okay. i know that right so yeah. so there's my safety net if, so you if have, there's a yeah, safety you net. have a safety net and then you're you're taking risks but they're calculated risks they're calculated they could yeah. have been a little more calculated now lesson learned mm-hmm. don't get mad at the landlord <laughs> it's not their fault okay maybe it was their fault they'll have to deal with that karma it's going to come back to them know what I mean? I just, I just keep doing, you know, with integrity, what I, what I think is the right thing. And, and it seems to be, you know, persistently, you know, helping me to grow my business. Uh, so actually I was cutting hair, my safety net. Okay. One day, the guy that owns, his name's Willis Johnson. He's uh 92 years old. He owns all the classic cinemas. He owns about a hundred screens. He's my landlord at the Downers Grove store comes in. And he says, hey, I heard about Clarendon. I said, oh, yeah? He said, yeah. You know, I have a spot in Elmhurst, right? I said, okay. Where's it at? He says, right by Starbucks. Sign me up. I said, right there. Uh, let's, do, let's do a three-year lease. And then, you know, I wanted to negotiate a little bit more. I knew I, knew I wanted to do seven. So I said, what can, I, what can we do if I go seven years? Hoping for some renovation money, free months rent, you know, yeah, absolutely. you know, and 
he said, okay. So about three days after that, we, uh, we were all signed and ready to go. That's awesome, man. Yeah, but I had, but hold on though. I had to take money from my credit card, <laughs> put it in my Square account so I could get the money for the first month's rent and the security deposit. This is not, I didn't have this money just chilling. So you guys know, okay? This was credit card money into the Square, out to the landlord so I could get the space. So People got to hear that, man. They got to hear yeah. that. Yeah, sometimes you got to do... Uh got to do a little uh, maneuvering in order to make yeah. sure that the finances are there when the opportunity uh, presents itself. Yeah. Uh, you just got to make it work, right? So that's great. So you're thinking it's going to be open when then? Going to be open in about uh, two or three weeks, depending two, on how fast I can get it staffed. Two or three I weeks. I need at least three to staff. So we're hiring in Elmhurst. Email me at contact at com if anyone is looking for a lucrative job cutting hair. <laughs> And uh, if people wanted to find out more about uh, maybe getting their hair cut there, you have a website, right? Yes, so, maccard.com. Maccard.com. All right, cool. Uh, well, I think I think that's about it, unless yeah, you wanted to add anything. No, I want yeah. I want you to – you have anything for me, man? Like, no, I think – yeah, I think we're good. I think that um, – I think we talked a lot about a very interesting topics. Yeah. You're learning about your backstory and learning more about how you – got into cutting hair and developed your businesses and even the failures too. That was great. And then talking about science. No, I, uh, I think it's great. I think this is a good stopping point. Cool. We can cut I mean, it I wish here. I could, I wish I had more science to kind of, no, you're but fine. it's all, but it's all the time, you know? Oh, so. we, we talked about this before real quick. If I'm stuck on something, I let my Sigmund Freud work on it. That's, <laughs> that's what I call it. When you let your subconscious work on something, In the you don't keep going on it. There's other things you can do. There's always something you could do. Remember that too. There's always something you guys could do to be productive. Yeah, taking uh, taking a break is definitely yeah. uh, definitely a good thing, and then yeah. letting the subconscious work on it. Yes. Anyway, uh, thank you so much for tuning in again to another episode of Thinking Critically. Uh, make sure to go ahead and subscribe, hit that like button, you know, follow us on our various social media. Uh, until next time. Thinking Critically was brought to you by Grips Visual Marketing. They helped me to bring this podcast to life um, when it was just an idea. So that being said, if you're wanting to do a podcast and in need, don't exactly know where to get started, or perhaps you need some video services, make sure to check them out. You can find their information in the show notes.